The church at Corinth dealt with a lot of carnality and spiritual immaturity during their time from what we read in the scriptures. And knowing this, Paul made a special effort in writing to them in two detailed paragraphs to lay out and explain similarities between the human body and the body of Christ, the church. In this one passage that I'd like to examine with you for a moment, one of the passages I want to look at, the word body is used at least 13 times as Paul illustrates exactly how a body functions. He makes his point so clear that even the least mature Christian in the congregation could read and understand the point he was trying to make. In 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 27, the Apostle Paul said, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact the body is not one member, but many, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them in the body, just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary, and those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. In this first letter to Corinth, Paul dealt with several problems within the congregation. In this passage, in this analogy that Paul chose to use, he also addresses many of those major problems at Corinth, their potential results, and he taught them some corrective solutions to those problems. From the opening words of his first letter to Corinth, all the way back in chapter 1, we learn that division was a constant threat to the life and well-being of the church there in Corinth. Now, mind you, we're not just talking about the, the big splits we might imagine over some false doctrine or false teaching or serious issues as we might count them. But throughout the letter, Paul discusses division of all sorts, which threatened the church and must be corrected, must be dealt with. Sometimes we don't think of everything that he addresses, things we might call small things as divisions, but Paul identifies them as such. Consider a few of the things he addresses prior to this chapter, chapter 12. In chapters 1 through 4, he talks about contentious factions that honored men rather than seeking unity in Christ. In chapter 5, he spoke of a necessary division when a sinner was in rebellion to God who refused to repent, someone that they tried to help correct and they had to put aside and give over to the devil. Chapter 6, he dealt with disagreements leading to contention and division in civil courts of law. Chapter 7, he addressed contentions and questions about marital relationships when it was or was not acceptable to separate and gave them further instructions. Chapters 8 through 10, he answered questions pertaining to the practice of real or perceived 
liberties and a question of meat offered to idols. And chapter 11, he discussed some contentions over the signs of submission to God's system of authority and divisions in observing the Lord's Supper. Now that's quite a varied list. In some situations, Paul taught them when a division unfortunately must occur. But in most of these cases, Paul corrected those who caused any kind of division, any kind of disunity or disharmony within the body. And when we look at these subjects that he covers, some of them, again, they seem greater. They seem more serious, more desperate to us than others, don't they? Yet each of them that Paul addresses and then goes on to use this analogy of a body caused a problem, a division, a schism, a dysfunction in some form or another. Add to this list a few things that Paul specifically brings up in the body analogy, such as an inflated self-importance, a prideful mindset, or a notion that your service to God, your role that you fill within the body, is unnecessary, or perhaps the only necessary role. We may not always think about it, but if we are disconnected from our congregation locally, the body of Christ where we attend and worship, if we're disinterested in its work, discouraging or critical of the work and contribution of someone that we feel isn't doing the important things or isn't doing what we are engaged in, we're creating a form of division within our congregation. Paul opens this analogy by reminding the Corinthians that all of us are on the same level in Christ. Our backgrounds, our social standing, our wealth, our age, our gender, or whatever else you might want to measure another by, does not really matter. We've all been baptized into one body by one spirit. And Paul's illustration takes something that we are all familiar with, something we all have, the human body. And it shows us how the various members of the church, as different as they may be from us, as greater they may be than us or lesser in our eyes, they are various, they are different, they are members of the church. Their function is just as necessary as ours, even though they might be different, they are interdependent, not independent. We may value some parts of our body that we use every day or ones uh, that we see and can't imagine living without or functioning without, say, our eyes, our ears, our arms, our legs, or whatever you might consider. But if we were to lose functionality of some of our hidden, our inward parts, we might become crippled for the rest of our lives. We might die. You might forget about some of the vital organs you have and internally, your liver, your kidneys, or something like that until it's not working correctly anymore. And suddenly, something feels off. Maybe you black out one day and are waking up in the hospital with liver failure. Maybe you're walking along and your legs don't work the way they're supposed to because something inside is clotting and things are going wrong and your whole body begins to ache and to suffer from that disorder. Your eyes, your ears, your arms, your legs can't replace the function of those hidden internal organs. Those ones that maybe we bestow less honor or tend to ignore or forget about. But the same is true about the members of the body of Christ. We have no right to decide which members or functions are important and which ones are not, neither for ourselves, but especially not for others. 
Paul said that God composed the body. It's his design. And within it, he set every member and ordained every function just as he pleased. So really the question is, who are we to critique and criticize the work and wisdom of God? If we ever feel that our role is insignificant or the role of another isn't that important, really we are criticizing God's handiwork. We're critiquing something that he created, that he set in order. If we feel that we are more important than some brother or sister, that we don't really need them, then we are really puffed up as if we knew more than God who sent his only son to give his life for every last man, woman, and child in the world. And we're not valuing those whom God values. Every member has their place and purpose ordained of God and the body is only healthy. It is only whole. It is only functioning at full 100% capacity when each and every one of us as members of it take part and do our share. Throughout Paul's analogy, we see him address some problematic issues that really have plagued the church for generations. It's nothing new in our time of isolationism and independence that exists within the body, though these may perhaps have become magnified to some degree as we've become much more mobile, much more able to leave behind our local communities. And we don't live like the first century church in some ways. It doesn't take us days to travel a few miles anymore. We don't necessarily live and work and worship all in the same community. Often those are three separate communities that we have a hard time juggling. Some feel that they don't need to be involved in the work and worship of the church, but they're wrong. Others feel they don't need this member or that, or that member. They felt that way at Corinth. They were important and useful enough to get along just fine without them if they failed in their faith, if they left the church, but they also were wrong. So what was the solution to these problems? Paul gives us a great place to begin when he instructed those at Corinth to first recognize the fact that we've already identified a couple of times that God composed the body. He designed it, he gave it purpose, gave it function, but he also tells us that there should be no schism in the body. We should rather have the same care for one another. We should value each other just as much as we care for ourselves. We should be performing our functions and filling our roles to the best of our ability, not only in service to God, but as a service to one another. We are to practice true and genuine empathy, to feel the pain of our brothers and sisters when they're hurting, to identify their weaknesses and to be empathetic, to help them overcome those weaknesses, to share in their joyful triumphs, to, to have joy in their strengths. And when we see them giving their best effort to give them encouragement and maybe assistance. And that's excellent advice from Paul, but it's certainly not all he had to say on the matter. In another passage, he brings this illustration back to the forefront of his discussion in Romans 12, 3 through 8. And he gives a few practical instructions on how we are to perform our functions within the body, both to build up one another and to please God. To the Roman church, Paul writes, For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith, for as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith or ministry. Let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, 
He who exhorts an exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Paul takes this analogy from the idea and the focus of God fashioning the body and the parts to perform specific functions to illustrate it as God carefully selecting gifts or talents to give to each person according to their measure of faith or ability. And we find here the emphasis is on our proper use of our abilities toward a goal of maturity and of building up one another, both for our own selves in our spiritual life with God, but also for those around us. The gifts that were given were suited to different purposes, given in different measures to different people. And the same can be said of our roles and responsibilities within the church today. And if you think that you don't have many gifts or enough faith to offer much to the body, let me remind you what Jesus said in Matthew 17 and verse 20. If you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. Even the smallest portion of faith coupled with the gifts which God supplies, has the power to do amazing things. We need to evolve ourselves in service to God as much as we have matured today. If we have not matured much, that's not an excuse for idleness. But instead, we've identified our first and primary work, which is to become more mature. Now, I mentioned that Paul gives us some practical advice on how to solve the problems that he addressed in his extensive body analogy to the Corinthians, and he goes on to do this in the second half of the passage. Paul says that whatever gifts you have to the Roman church, he says, use them. Whatever you've got, start to use it. And that's simple enough, right? And you might think, well, that's easy. You're, you're someone who's standing before us speaking publicly, and let me tell you, if you knew me when I was younger, public speaking was the last thing on my mind. When I first was baptized and joined the church or became a member of the church, perhaps the only ability I felt I had, and it wasn't much at that, was leading songs. Leading old, worn-out songs that I could get started, I couldn't pitch, and I would swing my arm around like I had a problem. But I knew people who cared. I knew enough of the scriptures from those who were influences on me in my life to have that small amount of faith to know that when you take what you have and begin to use it, and as the scriptures say, precept upon precept, you begin to build, you'll find new talents developing. You'll find new works that you can engage in, or people who see something in you and they want to help you bring out something you don't see in yourself or help you overcome hurdles that you've dealt with, a bar of entry you never thought you would cross to step in front of a crowd of people and to speak something that you wrote that hopefully is a lot better than it was 10 or 15 years ago. But that's where we all begin, reading and studying God's word, trying to mature, taking what we have and putting it to use where we can and taking that step out of our comfort zone to serve the Lord and be of service to our brothers and sisters start to use them is what Paul says take your abilities and start to use them he also lists several activities that we each engage in as Christians and instructs us that as we identify areas in which we can serve God and each other we should do so with a good attitude and just to engage in whatever work that we have whatever uh, things we're able to do 
And as I was getting ready to speak tonight, my mind kind of drifted to Matthew 5, 14, and 16, 14 through 16, how we often teach on Jesus' words there in that passage, applying the idea of being lights to the world and teaching on our individual uh, opportunities to work in this world and our effects on the people we, come, we encounter and that we should be sharing the gospel, being an example of what the Lord would have us to be, of Christians to the world around us. And I thought, maybe we should take the time to consider our congregation as a light to its community in light of Paul's teaching on the body. When you aren't the functioning member that you ought to be within the body of Christ in your local congregation, the light of your congregation, of the local body of Christ, begins to dim. And if there are enough who are not engaged, it could be in danger of dying. The body needs to heal so long as you remain that way. And it can't function at its full capacity. And we won't see the gospel go forth the way that we pray for and the way we long for so long as each of us individually are not growing and taking our part in our congregation's life and work. There are no unimportant members in the body. And I think over the last few years of isolation, we've probably all seen that in our local congregations, there's a lot of work to be done. We have a lot of members who need to start growing, who need to start working. It was easy to miss or to ignore when the roads of travel were open and we could freely go and hear good, strong gospel preaching at meetings throughout the year. But recently we became far more dependent on what we had at home, didn't we? Maybe our eyes were open. Maybe they needed to be. The Lord needs you. Your brothers and sisters at home need you. The world needs you. And so the question for us is, are we functioning members of our congregations? Are we taking our commitment to Christ seriously and doing the best that we can for him every day with what we have? Or are we satisfied with where we are, where we've been for years, content to let the body remain crippled by its lack of our contribution. And lest that seem harsh, I've been there. All of us have been there. You've let the years go by where you haven't been working, or you've been content to stay where you are and watch others do the work saying, you don't need me. But none of us as members of the body of Christ have any right to tell another member that we have no need of you that the body doesn't need you or it's better off without you. But let me tell you, you also have no right to tell your congregation, the body of Christ or the Lord himself, you don't really need me. The truth is there are people who may never obey the gospel, who may never know the Lord and the joy of salvation that we sometimes take for granted until you stoke the fires of conviction in your heart. And as Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus, in me.